Once again, to Mr. Movie Club. It's been a while, and to those of you who actually listen to this thing, I apologize. Um, I am coming to you from Lockdown City, New York City, late May 2020. If uh, if the future is listening to this, hello future. Hope we uh, solved all these virus problems. Um. I do have a good one today. Uh, this was recorded back before the lockdown, back in February, with my friend Adam Weiss, uh, editor and all-around good guy, uh, movie fan. And um, this week, it's Mr. Movie Club meets Mr. Robot, which is not a movie. But what I love about it is that it is a singular vision, not unlike Lots of movies. I'm a big Sam Esmail fan. Um, and, of course, Mr. Robot wrapped up last year, so this is kind of a little late to do a wrap-up. But, again, we recorded it in February. Um, Adam and I were both big fans of the show, and we have a really good talk, so I think you're going to like that. That's coming up. Um, I do have a couple in the can. I just finished a recording with uh, my friends Dale Oates, who has been on the show many times. And uh, my friend Jessica Matasio, who is an editor and a co-worker with me at White House Post. So that's going to be coming up probably about a week after this one drops. And we on that one, again, we talk about a show that I've been binge-watching called Devs, which is on FX Hulu and stars Nick Offerman and um, Allison Pill. I didn't write her name down, but I think that's her name. And She's an awesome actress, and it's... Um, a lot of parallels between Devs and Mr. Robot um, to the point where I'm going to tell you about spoilers right now. There's, as always, there's spoilers on the show, so when Adam and I start talking about Mr. Robot, it's going to be a lot of spoilers, so if you haven't seen, or if you're in the middle of Mr. Robot, go and watch the end of uh, Season 4, which is awesome. That's kind of mostly what we talk about. We talk about the whole series, but we talk about the the wrap-up Um the finale, as they say. Um, but anyway, the show Devs, which I've been binging during the lockdown, is an awesome, awesome show. And I got my friends Dale and Jess to talk about that uh, coming next week. So that'll be fun. What else have I been watching? Um, another show. Uh, so I'm probably not going to do an episode about it. I don't know too many people who've been watching it called Tales from the Loop, uh, which is another sort of sci-fi light show it's kind of light hard sci-fi hard to explain but um if you're into that kind of stuff you know mr robot fans again i think we'll get something out of this again there's a couple episodes in this it's an anthology show um but it's about these people who live in a town where there's a bunch of scientists and weird stuff happens and it's different stories each week but they're all kind of interconnected and it's kind of hit or miss and unlike devs which is written and directed by Alex Garland, um, Tales from the Loop is uh, was kind of started by this guy, Mark Romanek, who's a big commercial and music video director, 
but it's a show where it's different directors every week. So in that way, it's not as auteur as uh, as Devs or um, Mr. Robot, which we're about to talk about. But all good shows that I recommend, Mr. Robot, Devs, Tales in the Loop. If you're looking for stuff to binge while we're still in lockdown, hopefully by the time you listen to this, we're not in lockdown. But anyway, let's uh, go back in time right now to a, uh, a, a, a happier time when me and my friend Adam talk about the wonderful, underrated show, Mr. Robot. And here it comes. Have fun. Hello, hello, hello. This is Barney Barn Barn, your host here on Mr. Movie Club. And today it is a special edition where Mr. Movie Club does a deep dive on my favorite show of the past few years, Mr. Robot. I am here with my buddy Adam Weiss. Say hi, Adam. Hello, everybody. It's an honor to uh, be on the Mr. Movie Club podcast. That's, that's, oh man, I've trained you well. Um, And Adam and I have known each other for years. He's a fellow editor um, in the uh, sort of advertising slash commercial world. And uh, he's one of my only friends who's seen the entire uh, uh, four seasons of uh, Mr. Robot. And so I said, hey, you want to come down and talk about it? And he said yes. So uh, here we are. Yeah, it's, um, it's nice to find someone to uh, to discuss the show with. It, yeah, no, it's the same way. And we're, we're, we're going to have another friend. I might have another friend who calls in, but I, I won't promote that in case it doesn't happen. <laughs> and I'll record that later. But, um, but the show... Just ended about two months ago, right? Uh, it it's funny. December? I rewatched the episode today, and the date on my uh, DVR said December twenty second. So, probably like a, a little, uh, little over a month ago. A little over a month ago, yeah. right? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was right before uh, the holidays. Yeah, and um, yeah, I kind of refamiliarized myself with it too. So, why don't we start like this? How did you first get into the show? Did you watch it when it first came out? And like, I think it was 2015. It was a while ago. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I certainly didn't watch it from the premiere episode, but I think probably about a halfway through the first season or three quarters when it started to get a lot of buzz. Um, they were doing kind of the podcast rounds, Rami Malek and Christian Slater right. as a tandem. And I was hearing that it's this very strange, surprising show. And it just kind of like piqued my interest and uh, and started watching it from there and, and stuck with it. You know, once I started, you know, watching the the first season caught up on on demand or whatever it was at the time. So you I, didn't start. Wa- it wasn't like right when it came out. No, no, no. But it was like the, you definitely watch it while the first season was still out. Yes, yeah, yeah, probably yeah. let's say eight episodes in, approximately. Like was, yeah. uh, but but caught up probably in time for the finale for season one, and then ever since then, um, have have watched each season. Yeah, you know, essentially as it was going on. And you know, I, I think my experience was pretty similar. I th- I remember seeing the ads for it and thinking, oh, that that well, what's that? That looks interesting. And I think some of the ads had Christian Slater. Yeah, and I was I, like, is that Christian Slater? <laughs> it's yeah. like, when did he? When was he let out of? Uh, where are they now? Um, prison, but um, but yeah, but I remember when I, I you know, I you know, saw some ads. I was and the same thing. I heard some things about it. I think I read an article about how the filmmaking was interesting, which I thought was nice. And sure enough, you know, I saw the first episode, and like, and the whole first season, really. I mean, really the whole show. Like, just from a filmmaking perspective, what I think Sam Esmail. Um, I think I'm saying his name right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really think he was doing a real innovative thing, which a lot of people are copying now, which is he would just frame stuff differently. Like, it was one of the first shows 
69 has been the norm for years, as you and I know. We're going to get nerd out about tech. <laughs> oh, first of all, let's let's also just say at the uh, up at the upfront. I always say this, but in case someone stumbles across this, spoiler alert on everything. Whenever I talk about a movie or a show, I I just assume people have watched it. I, as you know, like working with me at edit at, at edit places. In fact, we're we're here at Sugarbox, which uh, you and I worked at a company X-rated in the same building many years ago. I am, and I'm known at White House where I work now as the spoiler. Like if I sat down and watched and people were talking about a show, it's like Barty is here. Don't talk about the show. Yeah, that checks out. But um, <laughs> but my whole thing is like, so if you listen to this, if you're kind of curious about Mr. Robot, binge it. Turn this off. Binge the entire four seasons. It'll only take a couple of weeks. Um, you might have to watch it twice because a lot of it makes no sense unless you've seen it <laughs> twice. Um, but uh, we're going to talk about the whole show, and especially we're going to talk about the finale, which was really really quite out there. I think we both agree. Um, but anyway, so my experience was I saw some stuff about it. I saw that Christian Slater was in it. And I read some, I think I read a Times article about how he frames stuff. And as a film nerd, that really excited me because ever since the standard went to 16.9 and you and I doing music videos and commercials, know that a lot of, when 16.9 became the norm back in the early aughts, a lot of like commercials, especially. But I, I'm assuming this was a problem on TV shows too. They would center everything, and they were like, "Well, because a lot of people are still watching in four three, and you know the old almost square format." So I, I thought that was really bold of him, even though I know it's again it's been the norm for years that he was framing stuff differently. And then when I first saw the show, not only would he frame stuff where he put like people's heads on the edges and really use the the frame interestingly, he did something that I find a lot of really good filmmakers do, which is that he almost and I'm re I rewatched seasons one and two. I'm kind of in the middle of season three now. And he hardly ever does, you know, like we're sitting here across the table. If someone was going to film this, they put one camera behind me, one camera behind you, and then maybe a master shot. So that's the over-the-shoulder shot, which is like every cop show, every procedural. And he never does that. And I thought, so forget about the plot or that it's about hacking. Like to me, just the way he filmed the damn show, I thought was... Absolutely. I mean, uh, there. I could go into a million uh, topics of uh, on this. We're gonna uh, nerd I'm out. Sure, we might sure as well just give into it. I can cut it out if we get too nerdy. I'm sure we'll. Uh, well, yeah, we'll cover a lot of it. But specifically, the framing is one of the first things about the show that stands out to me. Because even in in the sixteen nine world, it's pushing boundaries. Because yep. yep. normally, <clears throat> in a, a sixteen nine format, the screen is essentially split into thirds. Right. Normally your, your the golden ratio is, or whatever that is. Yeah. He normally, ignored all that shit. Yeah, yeah. And 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 normally when you have your character on taking you know, speaking from one third of the screen to, to another character, they're facing the empty two thirds of the screen. Right. Right. The way he frames it they're facing they're facing the frame of your television. Yeah. It's the most bananas thing. Well, I remember the, the article that was talking about that said he frames it as if there's another character off screen that you exactly. never see. Yeah. And which is, God, I didn't even think about it until I said it. Obviously, so to talk about the actual content of the show, um, again, anyone listening to this either doesn't mind spoilers or they know the show, but the whole premise of the show is a la um, Fight Club. It's a guy who you eventually realize is has a split personality and Kristen Slater's character. Am I making a time? I'll cut this out. Is, is there a, a static thing in there? Yeah. Or is that just me? It was, uh, okay, here I'll, let's we'll start from the beginning. No. <laughs> um, what was I talking about? The, Fight uh, Club, Christian Slater, framing. Right. <clears throat> so, so the show, pause. So the show is basically about a guy who 
has a split personality disorder. Um, I should have written it down. There's a real specific type of disorder that he based it on. Dissociative identity disorder. There you go. You're my man. Um, I was also a psych major in college, so I'm oh, basically shit. a mental health professional. Well, we should get into Let's put a pin <laughs> in that, but let's talk about that, about what he got right on that. Oh, I have no... I'm totally... Okay. Uh, I mean, I could, <laughs> you, I could you speak to it very surface level. I was totally joking as my... Uh, college credentials. <laughs> Wait, so you did not have those college credentials? I, no, I did. Okay. I did, but they don't qualify me. Yeah, I mean, I did. You I'm, didn't I'm actually an become a doctor. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. No. Yeah. You're, in, you're in the commercial film world. Like <laughs> exactly. Me, so. Um, but uh, so anyway, so so he set up a – basically he set up a visual language that I think spoke to what the whole show was about, which is – I mean the show was, uh, was about split personality, but it's also about isolation and feeling separated from people. So when you have someone on one side of the screen – and the whole other side of the screen is empty. It's like, it's it's amazing how how well and like I think Kubrick does this well. I think Wes Anderson and the Coen Brothers and Paul Thomas Anderson. There's a few film filmmakers who really like like how you frame the shot is going to affect the mood of the entire scene. You know what I mean? Like I don't know if like if if you made that same connection, but like to me it was like, oh, I get it. This guy's the screen is half empty because he's half empty. Yeah, you know. Yeah, absolutely. It, it also gives this weird feeling of at the same time making you feel claustrophobic, but also yep. that you're in this incredibly expansive space because the character is speaking sort of in such a crammed area, but then there's so much empty space yeah. behind them. It's like stuck in a corner. Yeah, and yeah. it and it also speaks to like you were saying. It gives it this element of even when you when you've seen two of the characters and you know two of the characters are real, um, it, it still has that element of like you said, is is this person hearing voices or are they actually having a conversation with a real person? And right, I just think right, stylistically, right, right. it fits in so well with um, the tone of the show. Well, later when they reveal, and they don't really reveal it till almost the end of the first season, when they reveal that he's, and I remember they because I was just watching season two. I remember they did this in season two. I'm not halfway through season three. I'm halfway through season two um, on my rewatch. Gotcha. And and one of the things I noticed they do in addition to the you know putting people on the side of the frame, they would do stuff like where they'd be like uh, a tight shot where he's talking to Christian, and then they cut to a wide shot and he's not there. Right. You know what I mean? Like they did a lot of that stuff, which is a little more that's a little filmically a, a little more um, typical. But the way he cuts it, it's just real clean, like in The Shining. It's almost like you know, like you see him talking, and it cuts around, and suddenly Lloyd is there. There's no like right. people don't fade in; they, they don't get smoky. You know, there's nothing, um, there's nothing trippy, trippy about it. Um, sort of sidebar: Dude, you were a Shining, you were a Kubrick fan, right? Uh, I like I like his more. I mean, it's sort of my taste in general. I like the more accessible of those kinds of like The Shining, like The Shining, exactly. Did but you like, see the the sequel? I did not see Doctor Sleep or yeah, whatever. I, I hate to slam another movie, but that movie like literally did all. It was so anti what we're talking about. Like the filmmaking was not. Um, it was a fun film. It wasn't terrible, but like they, you know, like people would disappear into a puff of smoke. It's like that's like the opposite of of what was set up with that film. Right. You know, the film was the opposite of that kind of dark, spooky, ghosty filmmaking. But and I, I think Sam Esmail has that same kind of sort of flavor where it's like. He's more like, hey, I'm going to show you with a simple cut how strong an image can be, you know, and as editors, I'm sure. I mean, that's uh, one another sort of technical part of the show that really impresses me is just the tone and the pacing of it. Yep. I mean, one of my favorite episodes, and I think uh, you would probably agree, is the episode where uh, in season three where it's 
you know, it's it, you know, with 1917 coming out, it's like becoming a little yeah, bit yeah. of a cliche. But that whole episode is, you know, essentially one, the one edit. shot. Yeah. Um, and uh, and it's breathtaking. And 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 as an editor, I tend to prefer things that are faster paced and and cuttier. And it's like I you know I didn't even notice it until I was probably about halfway through that episode. I like that episode a lot. I, I feel like it is a little trendy. You have 1917, which I thought was really good. And, and again, even if you think 1917 was a little corny or whatever at the end which is sort of my take not we don't have to get into that but <laughs> but uh but you have to it's impressive what they did and uh, i don't know if you i'm sure you saw uh, true detective mm-hmm. um the first year yes with the, uh, mcconaughey mcconaughey and, shot in the in the name in the yeah. in the that one was really impressive because mm-hmm. that one i think was really all truly one camera uh, mm-hmm. Like I think it was a, like they literally with no edits in that. Like 1917 is editors. I don't know if you saw it. 1917. I haven't seen yeah. it yet. I'm actually probably going on. Friday. I won't. I won't. I just spoiled it by saying it's corny. But um, <laughs> but uh, the, there are some like where they go behind a, a wood beam and that kind of stuff, yeah, which has been done in those kind of things. I like the one take episode. I like the fact that he went over and then went over the building, mm-hmm. which is obviously a bit of a CGI shot, which um, there doesn't seem to be a lot of in the show. But I thought it was well done. But what's but what's interesting to me is I think there's episodes, especially in this last season, that are even like, like I like the one shot thing. I feel like that's a thing like filmmakers all have to do at least once for some reason. You know, Kubrick didn't really do it, but like you know, the whole end of 2001 is basically one you know acid trip. So I think I think that's a fine thing to do as an exercise, and it, it is impressive, and I like that one. I like it when he, some of his other episodes that just would have, like he would go to an emotional place that. I mean, well, this gets into a bigger part of the conversation, which I'm, I'm excited to talk to you about or anybody who watches the show, is one of the criticisms I find of it, like, like, and just to set this podcast up, I was talking to friends, uh, and pe- people I know who watched the show when it came out, I was like, oh my God, have you seen season, season four of uh, Mr. Robot? They're like, oh, I saw season one, I kind of fell off it in, in episode, in uh, season two. And I noticed that happened for a lot of people, and there's a big plot reason that season two pissed people off, because he did another Fight Club thing mm-hmm. where... Basically, Elliot was in a like the whole season. He was not where you thought he was, right? Which is a little fucked up because it's kind of like, oh, so what is real? And then for the rest of the show, it is there is this kind of thing like, is that real? Is that another character of him? Is he really here? Did that really happen? But it, I don't know. It it still caught me. It still you know engaged me anyway. But um, why was I talking about that? That the the problem. What were I was trying to make another point. I've lost my train of thought. I don't know, but I, I can speak No, you to... have to help my train of thought. That's yeah. part well, I, of the I... guest's job here at Mr. Movie Club. Absolutely. But, I'll, um... I'll pick up the baton. Because I, I can speak to at least my feelings on season two, because I shared some of those as well. I was certainly disappointed with season two. Um, Did that second twist the whole... Yeah, and, and I think, to be honest, yeah. that's one of the weakest parts of the show is its reliance on... These twists, it has them multiple times. It's a little overstuffed with the twists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even, even the vi- the finale, or even uh, the original twist of Christian Slater being this uh, split personality. It's uh, you know, it's obvious from episode one. I remember watching it and being like, "This is going to be Fight Club, right?" Like this is like <laughs> really, you hadn't read about I, it or anything. No, I, I, I knew there was something weird. I didn't know. It was, I mean, maybe I it was an episode but... one, but long before. Did the you re- know that Darlene was his sister? That I did not. Yeah, yeah. But, but long, so it was long, a double twist. Long before they did the reveal that Christian Slater wasn't really there. And yeah, 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 yeah. Like I had snuffed that, sniffed that out way, way early. Um, and and my point in bringing that up is that 
to me, as we were talking about how the framing is so unusual, the performances are incredible. Right. I mean, you know, like you were saying, the show was originally marketed as this sort of Christian Slater show. And then it turns out Rami Malek is an Oscar winner and yeah, yeah, yeah. one of the biggest stars. You know, he's the main villain in the new James Bond. That's movie. why I'm surprised season three and four didn't do better than they, you know. Right. They say it wasn't canceled. They say he could have gone five or six seasons, although I don't know what the um, inside story is. Um, again, the, just so you know, the person I might um, be interviewing, I'll have to cut this out if he doesn't do it, um, is uh, remember Leslie? Leslie. You know, she was one of our assistants. Her husband is John. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, I think I know. And he he was um, he was the drunk actor. Santa. He was the drunk Santa. Yeah, yes. you, you recognized him, right? Yes, yes, yes. I've seen him in a lot of stuff. He's normally uh, comedy. Yeah. So yeah. I was surprised to see him in kind of a. I mean, it is a comedic, sort of a darkly comic. It is character that it he is. has, but I was surprised to see. I thought the whole show has some good comedy stuff. The uh, who's the rapper uh, Joey Badass? Like I thought his character is hysterical. Who's the real funny guy who was mostly in season two? Who um, who his, gets uh, his inmate friend? Uh, yeah, yeah. Which you don't warden? realize he's no he's I think the story is that he was the warden but you don't get that until they oh, reveal right, the right, twist. Oh right right uh, the guy from the office Craig Robinson yeah, yeah. Craig Robinson who's hysterical yes, yes. but he plays a real dark serious oh, yeah, character but yeah. he still cracks me up. Oh in, yeah in absolutely. But yeah to get to you so the right so the criticism against the show and why it lost a lot of people is because oh he's getting too tricky with the twists we don't know what's real and if you don't really invest it's seem like whatever you know if I don't know what's real why why should I care about it. I think that's a valid criticism. But here's the thing, is that I feel like the whole, all the twists, and just the entire plot of the show, though, that 5-9 hack, the Dark Army, e, Evil Core, E-Core, e whatever it is, I feel all of that, in a way, that almost the whole plot of the show is what they used to call it, I'm not sure if I'm saying it right, I did go to film school for one year, <laughs> but the MacGuffin. MacGuffin, like, yeah. The MacGuffin, right? It's like the thing, like you ever see the Maltese Falcon, it's like the Falcon isn't the thing, it's because it, the story is really about how he's in love with the girl, or what, you know, that sort of Hitchcockian, of you know, like like Psycho, it starts off, it's about a woman stealing money. No, it's about a psycho. <laughs> and so to me, when you watch the whole um, show in its entirety, and you see, you make it through to season four, which isn't at least in in binge in the binge society we live in, I don't think that's too much of an investment. Some of the other shows are seven. They're what, short. They're short seasons. Game of too. Thrones was like nine seasons. Yeah. Know? So, so I think it's it's not that big an investment. And he he, I don't know if you read about this. He originally set the show up, uh, wrote it as a as a movie. Part of me almost oh. thinks maybe it would have. It wouldn't have been as annoying, <laughs> you know. If you have a couple twists like that in a movie, it's kind of cool. It's like, oh, it has a double twist, but it's like, oh, there's a twist, and it took a year for us to realize. It. Right. I think that's what pissed people off. But, but yeah, the point I was getting to before is when you go back and you see the first season, then you see the second season, the twist. But you realize that there's certain episodes he's setting up. All the twists and the plots, I think, are just to set up these set pieces to do stuff about the main sort of subtext of the of the show the the stuff about isolation stuff about his his um his personality disorder but just also about the you know the isolation that we live in this world where we're all on phones and we're all like and people really having a tough time connecting and stuff and i i think there's some ep like i love the one shot episode that you were just talking about but like i don't know if you remember from season 3 like he goes i forget the girl that dies um the Muslim girl and the yes, the I don't remember her name, but I um, remember he goes to the family and he kind of, without even meaning to, he befriends her little brother, but he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to sort of get um, too close. Get to, and you, you realize then, just realizing this now, with the whole, that is an interesting plot point that the first episode he's busting a child molester and then he 
of course, it's revealed towards the end of season four that his dad was actually molesting right. him. So I think it might be, hey, I don't want to, you know, I, I realize that may have been. But that whole, even not knowing that, that whole episode where the kid's worried about his sister being dead and he's kind of feeling a little suicidal. Like, I thought just emotionally, and, you know, as you know, I've had suicide in my family and stuff. So that may have been what connected me. But I feel like there's episodes like that that just emotional. And then this year, the whole episode with Krista and the guy, um, I should have written his name down. Who's the bad guy? Oh, uh, Angel or something. I, I know who you're talking about. Right. The, his, the drug Vera. dealer neighbor. Vera. Fiora. Okay, yeah. V- Vera, I think it was, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, whatever. We didn't really watch the show. We're just making it up. Well, the, but it's, it's I thought that episode things. was amazing, too. It wasn't a one-shot, but I don't know if you mm-hmm. read about that. It was all a set. It was like a play. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there was you never saw the fourth wall because he didn't build it. Right. Like, so it was all left to right. So I thought that was interesting. But it still had cuts. But but so that one technically and emotionally I thought was really strong. That episode I talked about with the kid from season three was really strong. So to me, some of the more emotion and emotional scenes, and I'm just watching in season two, I don't know if you remember, there's a whole scene where, um, and you find out later it's because he's in jail, but um, he has to go to like a group therapy thing. And he gives a whole speech about um, about God. You know, he gives a big atheist speech and like, and it's just, you know, it's Rami who's a fucking amazing actor. I mean, he really carries the show. But it's like I feel the plot and the twist set up these really great emotional things and and that the whole show is really about the subtext, about, you know. It, uh, and, like, if, if if they ended it and said it was all a dream, like, n- not, only, not only does he have three personalities, which was the big reveal of this season – but like, oh, none of it was real. There was no hack. There was no evil corp. Like that would have sucked, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but like, I almost like I almost would have gotten that. It was because it's it's all about this this guy's imagination, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think that's as we were talking about the MacGuffin of the show, right? Yeah. Whether it's there's so much happening on this show, and it's like eighty of, MacGuffins. Yeah, none <laughs> of it matters. Like, whether it's White Rose's machine, right, which right, is right, never right. really revealed as to what it is, and again, none of that really matters because. The performances are so strong, and those it, those intimate interpersonal yep. relationship scenes are so well done. And for me, that's why I kept watching it, even if I didn't. Again, because for me, I thought some of the plot twists are are some of the weaker parts of the show. Yeah, yeah. but it doesn't matter because you know it, the the characters are so three dimensional. You understand so much of like the pain that they're going through, why they're you know so much of their actions are believable. Yep, yep. Um, and and uh, I, I think that's that's the strength of the show. That and and also you know we talked about the framing, the uh, the the one take episode. I just think Sam Esmail makes huge swings, and they don't always connect. I right. mean, but he's he's bold. He's exactly. Brave. Yeah, 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 and I it's agree. really. Uh, impressive to watch him do that on that on this show. I mean, he has they're not my favorite episodes, but he has like one or two where they essentially make this really dark show about mental illness where they recreate like 80s sitcom style. Oh god. I haven't seen that's that's episode 2. I think that's the next episode. I'm like halfway through season 2. Here's the thing and, and as I was watching season 2, I was like, people are wrong. This is the best season because it does have some of the best episodes. Uh-huh. But even now I was like like well, I burned through season one on my rewatch. On uh-huh. season two, I was a little like, ah, I'll watch it later. <laughs> yeah. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, a good binge show propels you forward. And I have to admit, season two didn't do that as much. But as little independent set pieces in the episode you're talking about where it was like Alf was in it. It yeah. was like, but I remember like when that came out, I was like, what the, f-? like, it was so crazy. Yeah. You know, and like, I've never seen a show 
take. I'm, I'm hydrating here. here. Let's do a little. Let's do <laughs> and, a little. And it, it, let's it, do it, some sound effects for her. Yeah. <laughs> it um it works to varying to success, by. but the fact that he's willing to try it and try it in so many different ways, like I think is re- is particularly when you're seeing so much stuff just regurgitated yep, yep, yep. all the time to see somebody take those huge swings. And, and, and th- there's great shows, but I don't like. To me, it was the best show. And this is someone who didn't really watch much of Game of Thrones, so maybe maybe <laughs> I got to watch Game of Thrones. And even Breaking Bad, I wasn't like an every episode watcher. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. to me, like the last show that was this bold was Mad Men, which by comparison was actually pretty conventional. But yes, um, I don't know if you were a Mad Men fan. I was. Yeah, not not as uh, rabid a fan as, as you were. But yeah, I, 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 I watched I, it. And same, I did the same thing with that when it wrapped up. And I think a lot of people do this now when you see a show that you love and it ends, you're like fuck, and you go back. And now the the great thing, which I didn't have when I was a kid. Um, uh, you're a little younger than me, but you probably didn't have it either. It was like, oh, I can just go back and watch the whole yeah. thing, and it's actually a, it's a nice for, for a show. I do think Mr. Robot, like a good movie, really is it, it really improves with rewatching and rewatching it with the whole thing about the reveal that his dad wasn't a good guy. You know, in the in the show, you always get the thing like the the ghost dad, Mister Robot, is a bad guy, but his real dad was good, and it's really kind of the opposite. Is the the Mister Robot character was really kind of protecting him in kind of fucked up, counterintuitive, passive aggressive, <laughs> and sometimes aggressive ways. But it, you know, again, not plot wise, it's still a little. You're know, like, wait, that doesn't quite tie up sometimes. But but like, you could tell that he had that whole idea about the truth being revealed eventually, because there are little. Um, there are little things that uh, that he that he plants throughout the the show, which I think sets that up really well. But yeah, I, to what you were saying before, it's like it's like the emotional connections that it sets up are really strong. It's interesting because I, I I thought, you know, I mean, we've known each other for years, um, but we haven't gone out to see a lot of movies. The last movie I saw with you, and you remember this, right? <laughs> Probably was, Die Hard. Was or? Die Hard Three? <laughs> yeah. That's funny because this podcast started at White House. As a bunch of us would go out to movies once a month. We're trying to set up a podcast where we all talk about the movies of the last year um and uh it, and uh, and then i started out a couple of years ago with a couple other white house people but i remember when we had you worked with me here at this place company x and um and uh i remember one night there's a bunch of us went out and you were like let's see die hard three and i was like i don't want to see die hard three <laughs> and i was like i was like oh that was pretty good like yeah. i remember like it was it's kind of cool when you set up a thing where you and this happened with uh, some of our friends at white house like if you Get people to go to a movie that they wouldn't normally see, and their expectations are low. So I was like, yeah. "Oh, that's interesting." But because of that, I I may have incorrectly pegged you as, a, "Oh, this this guy likes action films." And so, but it's it's interesting because you're talking about Mr. Robot in the same way I am. Yeah. And it seems like people who've stuck with it only stick with it because it ha- has the those emotional. You know. Because I like sports in our business, I've been wrongly miscast as a yeah. as a frat boy, as a as a bro. So I, I, I apologize. And <laughs> uh... well, I'm saying you're not the only one. Uh, I came in wearing a. But what about hat. those Chiefs? Huh? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, so in some ways, guilty as charged, but a little bit of a hybrid, uh, like a. Um, uh, I like uh, like I like the Kubrick stuff. I like the ex- the accessible artsy. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of the same way. Well, because like growing up, like I was like Kubrick, Kurt Vonnegut, Bukowski a bit, but like I wasn't like into Kierkegaard. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I, right. I, I, I was the same way. And even with music, you know, I was like, like the Beatles. Like I liked creative stuff that was also accessible. Yes. And that's the thing because in some ways, parts of Mr. Robot were accessible. The first setup, oh, it's a hacker and he's doing this. Oh, cool. And then, and then parts of it, the way he films it, and then like season two and three, the more dark stuff. 
and and what it eventually leads up to in season four is not quite as accessible. But if you stick with it, it's um, mm-hmm. it's very rewarding. Why don't we jump to the ending since a lot of people who probably clue into podcasts probably have seen the ending most most recently. So I don't know about you, like like remember there was, there was the two part ending, right? Mm-hmm. And um and a lot of it was, oh shit, is it all gonna be a dream? Is it really gonna be a time? You know, he has that teaser at the end of the first part of right. It was the first part of the of the two part ending where suddenly he wakes up and, and lo and behold, it was basically all a dream, and his life is perfect, and his and Angela's alive, and he's he doesn't have a split personality, and he he he's actually the president of all safe and and it looks like what White Rose was promising came true, and. I, I could tell. I don't know about you, but in the same way you sussed out that the uh, the twist in season one, mm-hmm. I was like, "There's no way that world was real." It was just there's no. Oh, yeah. It's like I thought it was either White Rose has created a verse because in the same way he showed a test to Angela in season two or beginning of season three, I I thought it was like I was like she's showing him this this it, it's like a taste of this alternate universe so that you believe it, but it's not a real alternate universe, and then someone. I was reading blogs and listening to podcasts about before the final episode came out, and someone was pointing out, I was like, "Yeah, but she blew her own brains out." <laughs> so she obviously thought it was real, and and I don't know. So what did you think of the whole ending, ending twist? Where, you know? Yeah. I, well, I mean, it is loaded question, obviously. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I thumbs sus- up or thumbs down? No, I'm kidding. Uh, I would give it kind of a one thumb up, <laughs> one thumb down. I mean, I think. So, Since we have two thumbs, I guess. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's so to get into the the big picture of things, uh, or the the more macro view, like I do think the the final twist actually kind of makes sense, right? That right. that uh, um, we're talking about a character who has a split personality disorder, and that the characters that we've been exposed to this whole show, in fact, are not the real character. They're his defense mechanisms right. and and the whole The whole per- Elliot character is just another Exactly. Yeah. Even even the main character that we've been watching this whole time, it turns out, is sort of an it's not the host right. character. It's right. it's an alternate. They call him the mastermind mm-hmm. is the uh, the character label. Um and I thought it was fitting and really interesting, particularly the idea that um that these Split personalities, their whole purpose is to protect the host character, the Elliot that we have not met yet, the real Elliot, and that when they've finally uh, done their job, which is to make not not just – Which is – isn't it – Four altogether, isn't it? His it's his mom, a, a, mo- his, a version of his mom, and a version of himself as a young. Yeah, a young... and and so that's where it misses for me. Like it goes a little too far. It's like we have two split personalities already. Like, um, Which just it's there's the real Elliot, and then there's the four: the mastermind, Mister Robot, the mom, and the and the, the kid, and the, yeah. and the child Elliot, who seem to be played by like five or six different. Yeah, answers, and, and that's but, where it just it, yeah. it, it it gets overstuffed. But but. Again, to a lot of what we talked about the show, where emotionally that makes sense, that resonates, that checks, right? Like, and I like that theme, um, but I don't necessarily love the way that it was executed. You like the concept, but not the execution. Exactly. Is that fair yeah. to say? Because right. it's basically the last episode is basically a two-hour reveal of this plot twist. I mean, they he sprinkles little breadcrumbs throughout yeah. the show that like this is possible but they don't really dive into it and well, even when he starts walking around the the sort of perfect Elliot world 
You cannot let's say everyone every car is a white Prius, which is exactly. kind of kind of cute. But it's like, oh well, that's obviously not. Yeah. A, it's, I'm like he he gives away pretty pretty early on that that it's not a real um, a real alternate reality. But you just don't know what type of alternate reality. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it, the 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 tone of the world is so dark and gritty that when we go to this alternate reality and everything's so syrupy, sweet, and it's like a utopia. It's, it's almost. I'm almost thinking that that the whole like sitcom episode was kind of I haven't seen it again yet, but I'm almost wondering if that's foreshadowing a lot of that too. Probably it has a lot of that same tone. Like, have you it, seen that episode again recently? I have not rewatched. It, I'm, I'm wondering like if are they driving in a white Prius? Like, right. like I wonder if there's little. Uh, little well, certainly like the that. wardrobe seems very similar. I mean, it's yeah. very clean. You know, I'm wearing no a hoodie. Black, I'm wearing yeah. a black hoodie today in honor of. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll take a photo and put it on the on the website. Yeah, but, uh, in, in honor of Elliot, and in that episode, he's wearing a crisp. Uh, crew neck, you know, sweater with a right. with a super crisp white button down shirt. You talking about in the in the sitcom episode from season in the, two? Well, in the in the alternate reality yeah. section but, of the finale, the but that also that that aesthetic is, plays very much into that '80s sitcom look yeah. as well, and just everything looks clean and wholesome. And well, it's, it's just, filmed the 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 '80s sitcom is filmed like a sitcom. The the alternate reality at the end in the finale. Someone was pointing out because you and I were talking about the framing. Like suddenly he goes somewhere in typical frame. Suddenly there's flares which he never had before. Exactly. You know, like, suddenly it looks like a slick commercial. Exactly. You know? So I, I thought that was a, a nice twist to the. He switched how he filmed it to kind of to kind of give the wedding. For, for me, it's basically the same as you. It's like kind of thumbs up, thumbs down. Maybe it splits kind of differently. For me, what I thought was um, it, this is the real finale. Finale was like oh, so his with his condition. He happened to put himself in a in an alternate world, and I just thought it's a little too pat that that the alternate world that he imagined is all in his head. That White Rose, and in some way, White Rose is kind of a mirror image of him because White Rose had two characters too. Because mm-hmm. White Rose was White Rose was also uh, Mister, the you know he was the the, the Chinese the minister, diplomat, Chinese minister, right? So I mean, a lot of the show is about about. Uh, all the characters have various forms of ice, even when they go away from Elliot, which they don't do too much. When they go into Dom or they go into um, different characters, they all either have some kind of kind of split personality personality analogy, or they have a big um, you know uh, isolation thing and 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 longing for a world that was perfect. So obviously, I think White Rose is almost this mirror image of that. You know, he also uh, you know his his you know his not being able to reveal himself as a trans person is is a a bit more of a you know uh, a known split so it's different from his thing but I, I just thought it was almost too pat like it was like oh he happened to be um, this whole time he happened to put his real personality into a world that's perfect where he's getting married and he has friends and he and he he doesn't have these psychological problems while at the same time white rose is telling him that he can physically with a it with with science make a world that's like that you know i just thought it just was a little too too perfectly wrong that said again just kind of like you were saying just emotionally and 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 um just vibe wise i thought it was the right ending it, i'm i'm glad they didn't go full science fiction even though i'm a big fan of like alternate reality type stuff um like i kind of eat that stuff i'm i read a lot of sort of sci-fi books about that kind of stuff now but the fact that no it's not about that it's about how both those characters white rose and elliot um not only were they n- not their true selves 
they were also not um, not they they also were were longing for a world that that was completely different and would do almost anything for it. Like she would kill anybody. She was obviously also a sociopath and and didn't really uh, have empathy for other people. Or in, I guess you know in that final scene, the scene before the finale where she's arguing with him, is I, it's actually quite interesting because. She actually saying in her and if you think about this, you know, with crazy cults and stuff, she's like, no, but I know this other reality is real. I know I can make it with this machine. So if I'm killing these people, and remember the whole thing, you were wondering every time one of his soldier, one of her soldiers got caught, they would blow their brains out. And you're like, what the hell? Like, what kind of suicide cult is that? It's because she convinced them all that there's this other that's that's the one string that he just plot wise that kind of bugged me and I think it bugged a lot of people like what did he show all these people and obviously Angela was the big mm-hmm. case of this what did he show all these people including Angela that made them believe there was this alternate world um and he just never explains that yeah but in a way I kind of like that cuz I hate shows that explain too much yeah which you know? is a little bit of my problem with the last episode you know one of my biggest pet peeves in narrative in general is just expository yeah. dialogue. It's why I kind of, you know, veering off a tangent, why I don't love Knives Out, even though I don't know if – did you see Knives Out? I did. Out? It was fun. But it was kind of – yeah. It was but it's like, like the last 30 minutes. Are, and that's that genre. It's sort of an Agatha Christie murder yeah, mystery, yeah. that it's genre. It was fun though. It was It was fun. It was but, fun. But the last 30 minutes, it's just spoon-feeding you yeah. every step of – You know what movie did that that I liked until the ending was – what's the one I see dead people – um, oh, uh, Six Sense. Yeah, like, because I remember thinking, and I'm just such a Kubrick nerd, it's like, Kubrick would never, like, you remember when she finally, or he finds out that he's dead? I can't remember what the fucking twist was, but then there's all these flashbacks. Right. Where, like, you see her talking and no one's there. And, you know, it's kind of similar to what um, S. Mill does in season one and two of, of this show, but but that movie did it so obviously. It's like, oh, it's all right, you just have to say it. Like, we get it now. You don't right. have to show all that stuff. And, to his credit, they talked about uh, – they refer to stuff from other episodes like in the, in the scene with Vera when he's realizing his dad was a monster and all this. Like at least they didn't go and show flashbacks. You know, it's like I like the fact that he, he let the the viewer kind of come to it with imagination. But yeah, like I'm with, I'm with you. Like when they – when you explain too much, it just – then A, it, it just totally removes the yeah. mystery. You know what I mean? And I mean, so I just rewatched the finale this morning. Um, there's a scene where, first of all, another thing that I think the show struggles with in the finale, and I think it's a difficult thing to do uh, in all movies and TV shows, is any sort of characterization of somebody's subconscious. It's a really difficult yeah. thing to pull off. So, and the whole last episode is basically takes place walking through doors yeah, and in, watching movies. Exactly, yeah. in his subconscious. So, he's having a therapy session with sort of a subconscious projection yeah, yeah, of yeah, yeah. his therapist. So, he's giving himself You thought therapy. that was too much? Or? Well, it's not that even that it's too much, but there's that whole scene is like it's just exposition. It's Elliot, Even though it was kind of cool the way he filmed them coming in, back. absolutely, it was almost yeah, it was almost like too, yeah, yeah. I know but what you mean. and that's again speaks to my whole perspective on the show in that the beat to beat twists and and plot points don't always land, but because it's stylistically interesting, yeah. because the performances are so good, because the characters like emotionally resonate, that it doesn't matter. Uh, don't you? You know, what I was thinking during the finale, and I want to watch it a second time. 
think I watched it twice when it came out, but I haven't seen it at least in a month or so. Is that with a with an act with a lesser actor than Rami? Like it could have been really cheesy. Yes. The whole walking through doors and sitting in a movie theater with his imaginary family. You know, it was like like it could have been really like done in someone else's hands. A different director and a different actor, different actors. I think all the actors were pretty good. Like it could have been like, oh my god, this is terrible. But um, mm-hmm. I think it speaks to how much good casting. You know, with, you know, I've directed a few commercials. One of the in a couple of music videos, one of the things I've and I'm mostly an editor like you. One of the things I learned is just how important casting is. I won't mention it, but I worked on a music video for a friend's band. He's like, "Oh, I'll get my friend to play the mother in this." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, fine." And it was like a couple of the people here; they were so bad. And it was just like, <laughs> "Oh man, like you have to have people who know what the fuck they're doing in front of a camera." You know, it's not just hit your mark and get a good light. Yeah, so, absolutely. But uh, yeah, I, I, overall, I, I I found the ending. Satisfying, like he was trying to write that fine line of like, I'm going to explain it enough so it's not a lost, you know, mm-hmm. and it's not a, oh, it was just a dream, but I'm also going to have it vague enough that that um, I'm not I'm not going to explain too much. Did you notice? Uh, there's just and we can take this as a launch pad to get into technical stuff. Did you notice like when he's chasing Angela, and then they get back to F Society? This is what I discovered rewatching it, and then he sees her and she's like. But you're not the reality. You're the and she says you're the mastermind. That whole scene in there. Did you notice that they look kind of different? Who's they? Angela and uh, Angela and, and Rami. No, I didn't notice that whole scene. If watch you watch it twice. Watch it a third time or watch that scene at least. That scene was from the first season. Oh. that was from that dream sequence when you know he has that really weird dream sequence where she's eating a fish and she's mm-hmm. in, in a wedding dress. That's that's it, it's it's not even like he reshot it or recut it. It's yeah. like the exact same scene. The only thing is. In in episode one, she goes, she goes. Well, I can't marry you because you're not Elliot. You're the and, and then he cuts it off. So he had that. He he definitely had he her that say from that in the beginning five years ago. What's funny though is that if watching it, I, I did watch it again. I think I wouldn't watch that scene again because you suddenly notice like like they're all because you know, five years, even though yeah. it's supposed to be all within one year, like. Like he looks a little younger, and like she looks different, <laughs> you know. Like they, yeah. It's and you know the whole scene, like you know they're at the wedding, and Mister Robot's like, you know, and everyone's wearing the mask, and he's like, "Oh, it's a little cold. They put a jacket on." I was like, "That's a weird thing." It's like, oh, because he shot all these other scenes. You can tell it was like continuity thing because right. he's wearing a jacket in that thing. Yeah, but um, no, it's it's funny. I found it a little hard to place the because normally I can you can snuff that stuff out pretty easily right like if you watch I only figured out because I was watching season one no but like I remember watching Lost and they would do cutbacks to earlier seasons as sort of flashbacks oh did it yeah and it, you know Lost they're only supposed to be on the island for like 90 days or something I like didn't that, get but, all the way through Lost either I know I should yeah, I like J.J. Abrams but yeah, yeah. but it's not really that relevant just that you know it's supposed to be 90 days have passed or whatever but in real life it's been 8 years so when you go back to a flashback Sorry, from they're, they're like 20 pounds heavier or yeah, lighter exactly. and they got but, wrinkles yeah they got a facelift or something. But Rami yeah. Malik is so skinny yeah. all the time. It's hard it's really hard to place him even five years like he looks yeah. almost identical. So uh so in that sense it was um I don't know, maybe maybe I'm projecting, but I noticed I was like, Oh, they both look a little younger and do that. Yeah. I, I there were a few scenes where I could tell, but like yeah. it, I did find myself struggling sometimes to to be like, Oh, is this did they reshoot this or is this? I, I think that's the only scene that did that, but gotcha. I'm not sure. Um but getting back, you know, my lost parallel, um one thing that I thought was interesting about Mr. Robot is like, so even if you haven't watched Lost, you know that the finale of Lost is 
you know, up there with Sopranos, Seinfeld, uh, yep. Game of Thrones as sort of the much maligned. But well, just without getting into too much, and it's fine. It won't be a spoiler, and I don't really care. It Lost is basically kind of like the Bob Newhart show, right? It's like, wasn't it like, it was all a dream, basically? Eh, it's much more complicated than that. Right. But so now it, I gotta watch it. But the, no, and you shouldn't because part of the problem is is the whole show is sort of, it's like a bow and arrow, right? Like you're, it's building up this tension to this release and then it doesn't stick the landing. And so you kind of feel like you've wasted eight years of your life or however long it was, like, do you feel they plan that ending, or you think? I think that I've listened to podcasts with Damon Lindelof and is that uh, the writer? And, yeah, and they've pretty much admitted that like they kind of just were for had their arms twisted by the networks to keep it going, and they. So you have to admit, like Mr. Robot, you could tell that maybe it's a little different from what you originally imagined, but you could tell that he had that ending because he put a scene of it in yeah, his yeah, in, in season one, so he had that from the beginning, and also that. So the the do you think um, the the Sopranos, which I was a fan of, like everybody, do you think that was a planned ending? I always thought that's an edit room ending, but maybe that maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I don't know. Um, I, I, you could sell it to me either way. I feel like it had to be. I mean, I don't know that it was what he had in mind. From you know, they say a lot of times these these showrunners they have an idea of how yeah. the show starts and how it ends. And I think, and then, I think Sam did, yeah. yeah and then and they, they, they figure out the middle, the middle yeah. as they go along. You know, I I don't know if that's the case with Sopranos, but it wouldn't shock me if it if it was. You said, as a, I know we don't, it's not a Sopranos podcast, but you you want to know what, um, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen it, when that happened, remember, like they're eating cut to black, right? Uh, Andy's wife, uh, Dana, the owner, uh, the owner of the studio that we were talking to you from, uh, I was, we were all working together and, I know we we had been talking about Sopranos a lot. I was probably spoiling it for everybody at lunch back then. <laughs> and she called me up because she knew I was watching that. And she, she was like, did your cable go out? Like she yes. literally thought something – like it went out and she missed something. Absolutely. She was calling to make sure she didn't miss sort of something. I was like, nope, that's how they ended it. So Reaction. But so the the uh, um, excuse sort of that the Lost showrunners came up with during all the criticism was – uh, it's the destination, or it's it's the journey. It's not the destination, right? Like, did you enjoy watching the show? Well, if we didn't stick the landing, so what? You still got eight years of entertainment out of it, and it always felt like a cop out to me. Whereas with Mr. Robot, first of all, I don't think it's fair to say that they, Mr. That he, Robot, you enjoyed the journey more, exactly. Like, okay. and even though he, I don't think he misses the landing. But he doesn't. It's not a. It's, it's not, not as a perfect important. ten. Yeah, yeah. But it doesn't matter because the, I thought the ending was good. But it's not like that wasn't the best part of the show. Right. Like you said, there's so many episodes. The one, the one shot episode, the sh- shot, the show this year with uh, the no Fear. dialogue episode is probably. Oh, you, you know what? My favorite episode. Let's just talk about favorite episodes from the last season. And you know, I just watched that recap that reminded me the whole uh, that character, uh, the the woman who was basically fucking with, who was hired by the Dark Army to to keep tabs on. Uh, Dom, the, uh, that whole scene, yes, and it's funny because there's not it's not a big action film. Like there was a big uh, car chase in this one, which do you know what that was a reference to? The whole, oh, I the, did you see that episode where there was no talking? Yes, yes, yes. That I thought was the that was my favorite episode of the season. I didn't get this. Um, it was from uh, Home Alone Two, when Is he's it? in. Like, apparently, there's a whole scene where where the kid runs around in New York. He like shot it like in. I, I got we got to look this up, but my. <laughs> Because I've seen Home Alone recently, uh-huh. but I haven't seen Home Alone 2 in a long time. <laughs> and apparently he just recreated this chase. Like really? that whole chase scene is like, oh. don't you love that kind of Yeah, I yeah, love yeah. I mean, it tracks too. Again, if he's recreating entire episodes of, you know, ALF sitcoms or whatever, it's very much that same yeah. he's time definitely. A, have you heard interviews with Sam? He's definitely a pop culture, you know, yeah. kid. 
Um, yeah. I, I think during season one, that was probably one of the podcasts that I had listened to that got me into it. But since then, I have not heard. He it doesn't. He doesn't do a lot. There was one podcast I found where he did an interview, and there was one of the sort of NPR type sit down shows for the end of this season with him, Rami, and and um, and uh, Christian. Um, but yeah, but you know. So to me, there's so many gem episodes. Like so that that episode with uh, Dom, what was her name? Um, the, the 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 taxidermist. Oh, I don't remember her that name, happened. unfortunately. It, it, about casting, can you imagine? Like with somebody else, like if that was cast like a regular CSI or Law and Order, that character could have just been like a real cheesy cornball character, you know. But uh, I mean, she was kind of cheesy in a different way. But it could have been like just a real typical, right? Like I'm going to. Cut you from ear, you know, right? But like, but she was like, I gotta cut you. Like, uh, it was just so like not what you would imagine that character to be. But it made her even that because she had that saccharine sweetness. It made her that much more. Uh, and that whole scene where they escape and she stabs Dom and Dom shoots up again, not super realistic, but it, it all it was it was action in a way that you didn't really see on the show that much. But because it built up to it, it was just so. I, I just I was like. I was so excited by that. I've never been more excited watching this show than that. That was like, to me, that was their Die Hard 3 moment. Yeah. Where blockbuster films, they have scenes like that. Every scene is like that. And it's almost like, it's almost like a band that hits the cymbals too much. You know, it's like, oh, just done. But the fact that he, it's all calm, and then there's this fucking explosion where she takes out her FBI training and like, you know, oh, I just thought it was I mean, he brilliant. he does an incredible job of building tension on that show. I think it's one of its yeah. strengths. I yeah, mean, totally. There's a very similar... I mean, the scene's different, but in terms of how the tension is, is when uh, Darlene and her boyfriend are eating dinner at a diner, and you just know the Dark Army is going to come and uh, shoot and it that, up. That was shot right by uh, White House. Right oh, there. was it really? Yeah, it's a, a, a Lupe's. Yeah, it's a. I don't know. I watching that, was like, how do they take the glass out and like you know? Yeah. Like that's the kind of tech thing. Here, yeah, here, yeah, yeah. We can. Um, hey, um, hey, well, how are we doing on time? We've been talking like thirty-five minutes, forty. Okay, so here I'll dovetail it into a. So I was watching that scene where um, her boyfriend, um, what was that guy's name? I, don't, I only remember He's the, the main... guy who gives the CD. You yeah, know? Um, uh, I, I do love the way he brought some of the characters back in that in the in the goofy yeah. alternate reality. Well, yeah, you know the, the the real shitty boyfriend, Angela's first boyfriend, but um, Darlene's boyfriend. When they're in the restaurant, I, because I, I know that restaurant, I was like, God, how how do they replace the glass and how do they do the squibs? Like, I start. That's my problem when I watch anything these days. You know, we're on the post production side, but I've been on sets too, and I sometimes obsess like, oh, how do they get the camera guy up there in the Ferris wheel? You know, like that's the kind of stuff mm -hmm. I, I kind of obsess over. But um, there's I, a there's an Instagram account called Gimbal Ninja that you should look at. It is wild what this guy does. Is it someone who worked on Mr. Robot? Or just no, no, someone? no. But I'm just if you're wondering how these sort of like crazy crazy shots shots yeah. get um, executed, there's this Instagram account. It's just this guy who like has a camera on a gimbal and he's like diving through open car windows oh, to nice. to catch shots of like you know somebody hitting the the front of a car on a I bicycle assume and that flipping they, over. I always assume those kind of shots they have it on like a thing, like kind of like the NFL. The thing that's yeah. over. But I, you're, saying, I, you're saying this guy actually This is an flies actual guy. Like, he's basically dressed like a ninja. He's in all black. He's wearing, like, knee pads, probably like a chest protector, you know, like a catcher's chest protector or something. And, and he's, he's got the, I've seen that. He's got the camera on one of those gimbal things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's just diving through an open window, like, two open windows in a car and, like, 
on the other side and holding the shot the whole time through. It, but it, it, it's when incredible. you say it's a gimbal, it's it's one of those like it's like round. It's like the camera's like stabilized. Yeah, but it's right. it's like a single. It almost looks like a like a Ghostbusters trap or something. It's yeah, like yeah, he yeah. can hold it with one hand. It's not the two handed thing, um, and that's what lets he basically does a Superman dive through the two open windows of this car. And is able to get the shot. I'm sure our DP friends can tell us uh, exactly what that's called. So, yeah, I don't so, have a ton of. So send us an email and tell us yeah. editors what, that we don't know what the fuck we're talking. <laughs> you remember I did that music video for that band, Your Vegas. I did a couple for yes, them. Yes, yes. We did one at uh, I don't know if you heard. We did one here, and then we did one where we rented a studio. And uh, the DP um, David Lanzenberg, uh, he didn't have a gimbal thing, but he had one of these things where, and it wasn't a steady cam, but it was like. A rig where it comes up over your head, and he could do handheld shots, but they could be a lot smoother because the camera's like hanging off this kind of uh-huh. pulley. And it's just, it's just amazing. Like to me, it's amazing what, uh, what camera guys can do these days. And now yeah. the cameras are so small. If you ever see the behind the scenes of like Scorsese and and Hitchcock and Kubrick and older filmmakers, like the fact that you were able to get shots like you get in a Paths of Glory or, or Full Metal Jacket or uh, The Shining is like, and back then, you know. The cameras were so freaking like deep. a thirty it's pound tiny now, yeah. So, but um, but you know, just getting back to Mr. Robot, I, I, I think what's amazing about him is that obviously he could do a lot of tricky stuff, and he did that sometimes. But it was more about like let's let's get the set right, let's get the hoodie right, let's get the composition right, and let's make sure the composition speaks to the emotion of whatever the scene is. You know? Absolutely, which I think is. Have you? Uh, I just watched an episode, uh, sort of preparing for uh, the show. My, you know, the podcast today. Um, he has another show on Amazon Prime called yes. Homecoming. Have you watched? I, it I saw the whole show. Oh, like, I, so well, I only I saw, watched the first episode. But that's I saw, good. I will. I'll try not to spoil it for you. Okay. But here, I, 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 great because we're talking about tech stuff. Because we're we're in tech talk. I forgot to yeah. do my introduction. <laughs> um, what did I call it? Will, do you remember what I called it? Remember, I was here with my friend Ralph in inside. Inst- thank you. <laughs> Will has finally made it onto the podcast. Remind me, this is the section we call Inside Film Ball. Mm. And um, everyone says that's a really stupid name, but I don't care because <laughs> it's my show. Um, but uh, here's a fascinating thing that I think – I don't know if you notice it in Homecoming yet. I'm trying to – the uh, different aspect ratios. Yeah. And what, it, uh, what is it? It's, it's something counterintuitive. Like the modern stuff is one-to-one or 4-3 mm-hmm. or something, and then the flashbacks are 16-9 yeah. or even like 1-8-5, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's sixteen nine and four three, but regardless, one is widescreen, one is, yeah. is square, and it's and it, you realize in all this it, the compositions, and you can tell it's not just like they're not just doing it in post. Like he shot it like that. Oh yeah, I'm I'm ninety nine percent sure. Oh yeah, I mean it, it feels like it was shot on an iPhone almost, like yeah. a, a portrait uh, view iPhone. I, I think I think it's again. I'm sure people you know, we can look at the internet later, but I, I think it's actually that those those. Thin scenes are, you know, where the investigator guy is. Uh, did you notice that guy was in Joker? I did, I did. Yeah, I, Amongst I other love things. that guy. I just He's looked really him up. Uh, what's Sean Wiggum or something? He's one of those actors. Like That's when you have a good casting, you get those actors like, what's that guy being in? Yeah, well, and I looked him up on IMDb. He's in, like, everything. He's, uh, he's... I'm watching, now I'm watching the re, the my re, re-watch of Mr. Robot I'm watching on Amazon, which is mm-hmm. nice. There's no commercials, Amazon Prime. But I don't know if you've ever watched shows on Amazon. You just hover over it, and suddenly you get the yes. bio of all the actors. It's kind yeah. of annoying. It's like, wait, who was you know who? who what was she in? You like, uh, yeah, it's 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 good, but um, but yeah, what he does on Homecoming with uh, again, it's for I think it, it 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 you'll see. I think it it helped it helps set up again the confines and the the whole 
I think it's not spoiling to talk about the premise of the show, but these soldiers are being um, they're in this program, and it's kind of questionable about you know what the program's all about, and a lot of it is they're confined to it. Yeah. So like, but it's funny because their stuff their stuff is actually widescreen, and then the new stuff where she's trying to remember what happened is confined. Yeah, um, it's just yeah, it's just really well done. Yeah, I mean it's it, 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 it's. It speaks a lot to what he did on Mr. Robot, but it still feels fresh and new. But in the sense that when Elliot is in having these sort of the alternate reality and everything is super sterile and clean and and you know uh, utopian, yeah, um, that's kind of how the sixteen nine scenes are in yes in Homecoming, and you yeah, very much get point. the feeling of Julia Roberts as this successful therapist and. She has this practice with the with these returning soldiers. The, but you know something fucked up because. But you know you don't really know until you see the the four the the flash forwards where right. you're seeing it in the in the smaller aspect ratio. Lends to that something's wrong here. Like something is has it is has it gotten idyllic. to the point idyllic. I might spoil here. I'm going to try not to because I can't remember when he reveals. Has he? Revealed that that she doesn't remember everything. Is that kind of comes through? She, only in he's been questioning her and she does not have answers. So. Yeah, so, yeah, so right. So you're not sure if has she forgotten stuff or, or is she just being dodgy? She, but the point is, information is missing. So gotcha. I think that's why we say so absolutely. Let's shoot it in different. Let's not show as much information. I, yeah, I I didn't even realize that till we spoke about it yeah. just now. You know, it's another movie that uses a format like that pretty well. Is um, I don't know if you're into um. Paul Thomas Anderson's movies, but mm-hmm. what's the one about the hotel with the um, Darjeeling? No. Yeah, no, not Darjeeling. Um, it's oh, uh, you're or Wes Anderson Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah, sorry, Wes Anderson. I yeah. always get the Andersons confused. Grand Budapest Hotel that has the same thing with the flash forward, and I can't. It's not quite as uh, extreme as Homecoming, but it's like it goes. It's kind of interesting that it's subtle. It's like it goes from like sixteen nine, like one eight five to sixteen nine. There's literally like three. Uh-huh. Form it. There's a, a flashback of this woman who met this guy who told her about this ho- told them about the hotels like Jude Law, right? And the hotel's kind of fucked up. Did you see? Grand I've never Fest? seen. It's on my list. It's on my secret shame of movies I haven't seen. Anyway, I'm not. This is all stuff at the beginning. It's, but again, it's, it's it's told on kind of three different timelines. Most of it is all this flashback from the main part. But um, he uses three different formats, and you know, it's like you know, it's a geeky thing. You know, I think some filmmakers geek out too much about. Film versus digital, or sixteen nine and one eight five versus four three, or you know how you know how we're going to put you know the commercial industry now. You know, it's always been trying to get people to turn their phones sideways for sixty nine, <laughs> and like people are like fuck you, I'm not going to do it. Right, <laughs> like, I'm going to watch it the way I watch it. So now I don't know about you, but we have to do everything where we do one version sixty nine. So it's like we're forced into that in the uh, the commercial world. But um, um, yeah. So it's, are we going to end on? Uh, we can end on. Format on what's I, your like, why, why don't we end on this? What's your favorite aspect ratio of all the aspect ratios? <laughs> uh, I'm a I'm a 169 man. I, I kind of am too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it gives you the most kind 69 of 69 like, represent. Yeah, exactly. It's not the super. I mean, there you know there are times when the super wide stuff feels very cinematic, but it there's, also and there's other times where it feels like it feels why, like your why do I, eyes like, are. There's my father-in-law who's very sweet, but like he's actually on one of the podcasts because uh, you should listen to the, if you did you see. Um, uh, uh, once upon a time in Hollywood. I did. I did. Listen to that podcast. Is my father-in-law met the Manson family? Oh. So we had we have an interesting talk. But um, the uh, but like I know him and some other people. Like you know, I'm 
not I'm no spring chicken, but generation even before me, they're like, how come there's bars on it? You know, right. like and like and like, like his wife like can't watch shaky cam stuff because she gets sickness, which is interesting. I think um, Sam Esmail. There's a bunch of new movies coming out now where the whole like handheld, the whole like the office kind of everything's mm-hmm. a faux documentary. That's kind of which I thought was a fine look, but like that's fading now, and like people are getting back to like let's have a new a real composition. My friend Mark. Seliger, the photographer who we might go see play in his band tonight, he was talking to me. I do an episode with him, and he was talking about, and he's like a photographer more than a filmmaker, but he does both. He was talking about, he was like, well, when he likes to do filmmaking, he's like, he wants to set up a frame that have action in it mm-hmm. instead of, you know, the can. You know, it's great if you can do like steady cam shots, but like sometimes it's just about make a beautiful shot and have the actors do something. So yeah, I mean, I'm always amazed that. The choreography. I mean, as again, as an editor, particularly a commercial editor, I tend to lean towards making things cutty. So when I see a long shot and realize how much is going into that shot, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, there's a lot of it in Mr. Robot, but a show that I've really started to notice it in is I don't know if you watch Mrs. Maisel. Yeah, yeah. But they have these incredibly long yeah, takes yeah. that are choreographed. And so with, it'll be in a club and stuff. I yeah. haven't seen season three that yeah. much. Or but, they're um, in, um, you know, her father-in-law's dress factory and they have people yeah, yeah, pushing yeah. like whole um, uh, racks of dresses past the camera and they're walking through a factory and it just amazes me how um, it's got to be hard work to do those shots. But absolutely, it's, but it's it's also it makes it more like sort of theatrical. Absolutely, way, yes, know? yes. Particularly in Maisel, it fe- a lot of times it feels like you're watching um, uh, a Broadway show or something. Not yeah. that, not. To I, I like Miss Miss Maisel is an interesting show because it it, it kind of kind of taken off the Mad Men thing a little bit. Like mm-hmm. in the first two seasons, I, I got into it for that. I haven't gotten into season three yet, but it kind of. Takes that madman thing and makes it more like a, uh, a it's like a jazz hand. Yes, madman. yes, absolutely. <laughs> you know what I mean? But um, but uh, yeah, but you know, I, let's just let's end on Mr. Robot. Um, you know, what do you think happens? Here we'll end it on this on a, on a on a what if? What do you think happens after the real Elliot wakes up and sees his sister? Like if they if someone twenty years from now makes it, if you and I like to say we're going to invest and make a sequel. What is the next episode after that? I mean, I think it's kind of a boring episode. I think it's a lot of what you see in that alternate reality that he made for Elliot. I think, except Angela's really dead. And, exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah. But I think, I think, to uh, my interpretation of it, particularly watching it a second time, is that's the real him. That's who he is. He's this kind of clean-cut cybersecurity uh, computer nerd. He's still, he's still a computer guy, but he's not. Yeah, but with some social skills, and he has this fantasy of being – that's where the Elliot that we know comes from is that the real Elliot has this fantasy of being a cyber hacker, uh, you know, Revolutionary. Superhero. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and the, the irony of the show is that kind of – all the Elliot that we know longs for is to have this normal yeah. vanilla lifestyle where he's marrying Angela, where he has a regular job, where he has friends, and then where he's the Adam West that I thought you were exactly. And yeah. I realize you're a lot deeper, right? Like, exactly. I, I, so I actually only knew your mastermind, and now <laughs> exactly. I've met the actual exactly. Adam West. exactly. You met the bro mastermind. Yeah, the bro. Now. Yeah, the, the bro. bro. <laughs> we should do like a whole spoof on uh, on Mr. Robot. It's like bro, bro master. Yeah, but um, uh, so I think that's what it is. Is you're just is he just goes back because 
again, these split personalities are were created to to protect him against the harsh, right. cruel world. So now that the world is a safer place for him, he goes back to being kind of this naive, nerdy uh, computer programmer. It's just, it's just it's just it's just episodes of him and his sister like just typing for like probably hours. yeah exactly. The, the only thing is that you know and and I'm I keep saying oh I like movies like I don't care about plot as much I don't care about like big tentpole films and stuff but like to me because he set up so many plot twists and stuff it's like well um Darlene did kill somebody right? Right. and like and they did hack and destroy the banking system like there actually would be lots of repercussions no matter Absolutely. whether he's cured his psychological problems or not but um yeah but it's uh, uh yeah. another plot twist we didn't not to reopen a can of worms but Angela being like essentially Jeff Bezos's child, you know the. the I feel that here's the one thing I, I definitely think the whole like hey his dad was a monster. They're definitely setting that up, and they have like there's lots of episodes where they, where and then like even in season one when you know the the cheesy boyfriend of Angela tries to touch him, he's like don't touch me, and and like the way he reacts to. Um, Oh, even in the very first episode when the the coffee guy goes, I didn't hurt anybody, and you see him go like this, and you realize like, oh, in hindsight when you know, oh, he was molested by his father, and you realize like that's him reacting. That the whole show is about his post traumatic stress mm-hmm, disorder mm-hmm. or whatever. But um, wait, I'm getting off track. You, you, yeah. So the whole thing with the <laughs> I like what that recap guy said. She was like the whole Star Wars yeah. thing, which definitely was a Star Wars. He's like, I'm your father. When you see, I think. Sometime by the time she was at uh, working at is that the end of season two? Yeah, where she works for. Maybe right, it was actually, right, actually, right, right. I think it was the end of season one when she's working for him. I think maybe at that point he started thinking about it, but I don't. I I don't. I think when he first wrote the Price character, I don't know that he wrote. It just what do you seems think? absurd. Yeah, yeah. It, it seems like one of those plot twists that was unnecessary. Having said that, I don't of, care. Unnecessary enough, but but was it? Because I think if you write a character and, and they're this, and then you say, no, like, I don't think Darth Vader was really his father in the first. No, certainly What not. I call the first Star Wars. Yes. I don't know if you listen to the episode with my friend Ralph where I'm like, Star Wars is not episode four. It's fucking Star Wars. That's <laughs> right. all it is. Um, and I'm not a big Star Wars guy. But um, I still like Star Trek better. And I love J.J. Abrams' Star Trek, so I should watch Lost yeah. at some point. But um, but yeah, th- that it, that had the air of hey, we're gonna make this a thing because that'll be a nice dramatic thing because that'll then he'll fight White Rose and blah blah blah. But I think I think that was one of the things that was added to the soup later. Yeah, it's like oh, let's put some broccoli in. There. But, but <laughs> yeah. it almost doesn't matter because to me, yeah. one of the most powerful scenes in the whole show is when, and it speaks to everything we've talked about: the framing, the long shot, the tone of everything. When Angela is. Killed. Yeah, the, the fact that she's like in the background. In the background, yeah, you yeah. know it's coming. It's pretty heartbreaking. It's so, and how he's mic'd up and, and just the yeah, way yeah, yeah. it's so, all these subtle Why touches. was he mic'd up? He was trying to get her to because change. Because he's her, trying to get her to, to like. To drop the lawsuit. About, exactly, okay, yeah. yeah. Trying to get her. Like, either she drops the lawsuit or we're going to kill her. Exactly, yeah, okay, exactly. Yeah, um, so you know it's coming and he just kind of like pulls the yeah. the mic out and then it's like this like muted execution of her it's just like heartbreaking again to watch it. again the act i think angela is great and the guy who plays price is great and mm-hmm. i think the acting even if it, the plot is a little little uh little sort of tinker toy put together it uh yeah it's all it's all about what have we learned today it's about framing <laughs> yep it's about acting 
It's about not putting in too many plot twists. Right. You know, maybe if he had cut down a couple of the twists, you know, then... Uh, to me, it's very much about the tone, right? Like yeah. The, that's... Well, and that's the part that he nailed. Like yeah, almost, yeah. Almost every episode. Yeah. Even in the episodes that didn't completely work, he nailed yeah, the Yeah, I mean, you're, vibe. it just has a, an element of suspense throughout the entire duration of the show that I think is really, really difficult to pull off. And particularly as an editor, to have your audience on the edge of your seat throughout yeah. you know, a 60-minute episode every week I think is an incredible achievement. Well, it's almost like together the show hangs together as a tone piece. It maybe doesn't hang together as a plot no. piece. Um, but but it's worth watching even if, it, it, even if it's not like a – uh, a Breaking Bad, like well, you know, how's it all going to fit together? It's more like, oh, how does how does each episode fit together emotionally? And they all fit mm-hmm. together emotionally. They don't yeah. fit together story wise as much. Yeah. All right, man. I think that's a good place to end. All right, excellent. Um, Adam, uh, thanks, uh, uh, Ma- Master Ma- Ma- Adam Bro Mastermind. <laughs> Bro Mastermind. Thanks for coming in, man. I really appreciate. Thank it. you for having me. And um, you know, let's uh, watch another show next year. Yeah. Well, what what other sh- oh, shows are you watching? What do you want to? Well, it's starting Homecoming, and yeah. uh, it, it, I'd be interested. I was going to ask you about this later. Uh, I'd be interested to hear your take on another Amazon show called The Boys. With all of your, I've heard about that. With all of it. your superhero uh, hot takes recently. What is the? Oh, is it a like kids becoming superheroes kind of it, thing? No, it's basically if superheroes were a real thing, but they were sort of controlled by corporate. Entities. Oh, that's interesting. So they're very much externally. They're, you know, they have to have high approval ratings and popularity, and seem super kind of like Amazon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it seems like... super syrupy, clean, and friendly when they're really kind of like horrible, self-centered, uh, shallow people. Oh, I like that. And uh, you've sold, you've sold, you've pitched. You it should well. check it out. I'd be curious to see what. So you watch Homecoming. I'll watch The Boys. Then we'll come back. We'll have a, a yeah, twofer. Absolutely. I would love that. All right, man. Thanks. Thank you. Mr. Ro- Mr. <laughs> Mr. Robot, Mr. Movie Club, signing off. Thanks, everybody. And uh, just as always, everybody, please email me at barneybarnbarn at gmail.com. And there's a Facebook page. You can leave notes there. And, um, you know, please comment and all that good stuff. Or don't. I don't care. All right. <laughs> thanks, everybody. Well, that's it. Thanks for listening, folks. Those were good times. Adam and I were actually talking face-to-face. Remember that when you can talk to another human face to face? Maybe we can again someday. Um, again, we have another one coming up probably a week after this drops. Got to edit it together, and that's on the show Devs, which is on FX Hulu, which I highly recommend you go see right now. And uh, that one, you know, we had to do it virtually due to lockdown, but it's a, it's a fun chat, and uh, it's a really fun show. It it really kind of picks up to Mr. Robot fans. Devs kind of picks up where um, where White Rose left off in a way. That's that's kind of my take. I, I didn't get to talk about this on the podcast when it comes up, but just all the stuff White Rose is trying to do is something they um, they follow up on. That's all I'll say on Devs. So give Devs a a, a shot. It's uh, it's another. Another good, focused, well-executed show. Much shorter. I think it's only one season. Um, it's one season so far. I don't think they're doing another. But um, uh, thanks for listening. If you really liked it, please hit like. Send me uh, a review on iTunes. You can email me at barneybarnbarn at gmail.com. I'll say that again, barneybarnbarn 
all Bs, Barney Barn Barn at Gmail. And uh, there is a Mr. Movie Club Facebook page, which I'm sure you can find if you know how to use search bars. Um, I don't check it that often. Email is the best way to get me. Um, to Mr. Robot fans out there, please tell us what we got right, what we got wrong. I love to have discussion and miss that show already. It's been half a year. Too long. Stay safe, everybody. Thanks. Bye. Bye.